You are listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as the other show I do, How to Stan, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com and subscribe to my newsletter at howtostan.substack.com. K-pop interviews, album reviews, and more. Subscribing is free, but if you want to continue to support my work, feel free to donate. Click the support the show button on the homepage at 17karatkpop.weebly.com. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. It's been a few days, so we have a ton of news to catch up on. Quick PSA before I get started, though. My series of essays continues, diving into all the many layers of Seventeen's discography. The meaning in their wardrobe choices, everything from camera lighting to choreography to lyrics, audio details, live performance stages, the whole nine yards. That series continues. I released three Thanksgiving week. The choreography deep dive, repeated prop usage as symbolism, and a deep dive into how camera angles and the different ways they change up the visual, the filter, the image on the screen, changes the story. And they do that quite a bit, going from black and white to color, suddenly turning widescreen, suddenly turning the scene upside down or on its side. Even camera angles and lighting really just amplify their story. So. To understand more of what I mean, check out my essays on howtostand.substack.com. More on the way. They will be posted eventually to 17karatkpop.weebly.com, but I like to give my free newsletter subscribers first access. And you can also hear a similar complimentary deep dive talking about their catalog on episodes of 17 Talk. Speaking of 17, first big topic we have to talk about today. The Power of Love two-weekend online concert event. I have chosen 13 details about this show that I think are the standout aspects of this two-night event. Quick reminder, there was the Power of Love show Power Edition, November 14th. The 21st was a new set list for the emphasis on the love theme, not power. These are in no particular order, but my first favorite aspect of the shows was how jam-packed the setlist truly was. 26 songs each night. This was a stacked show. Some live stream shows really kind of keep it short. They didn't bother with that. This had the level of preparation close to what it would be for an in-person event, which I appreciate. Number two, I love that June and the Eights got to call in both times. For both shows, they were FaceTimed into the show. Due to COVID protocols and whatnot, they decided the rest of the year they're not promoting in Korea with the rest of the group, focusing on their promotional activities in China, where they are also very popular on their own. But they were definitely not forgotten. It reminded me of when Esku missed Ode to You tour shows, and so the members held up an image of him, so when they took group photos and stuff, he was still there, super cute. And they did that again. They held up images, sang to them. Hoshi even kissed one of them. He really, his energy level, as high as ever, really fun. Number three, the premiere of their upcoming Japanese single. Felt very special and exclusive. And along with it, they reiterated how that release will mark the end of this year of Power of Love project releases. It's the perfect sentimental way to cap off this year of emotional, amazing, love-themed releases from them. Number four, the Clap remake. 
with Woozy's guitar shredding solo. Knocking it out of the park. Oh my gosh. Loved it. Number five, Fast Pace Live. That B-side really is getting its due. With all the sultry moves, it was just a really, really cool, mature twist. And I missed that song, so that was very cool. Number six, Game Boy Live. Super adorable. Honestly, during the OTU tour, that subunit did Chili Live, and in its place, if we went back in time and Game Boy was released early enough to see it performed live on the early 2020 tour dates, I would have preferred to see Game Boy Live. This one is just so perfect for this unit, and their cute colorful outfits and dance moves, it was just so fun. Number seven, Hoshi performing Horony Power, his song about his being a tiger and his love for tigers, really, really cute. He even wore a mascot head of a tiger for part of the time. It was just so adorable. Number eight, speaking of solos, number eight, I have to say, Spider. That will never get old. To watch Hoshi's next level dance, kind of acrobatic skills, it's just really impressive. Number nine, Dino performing his solo, an unreleased solo, Last Order. That was a very fun surprise, too. Number 10 and 11, and 12, I guess, the settings. They were just very cool. Diamond-shaped, naturally, structures the members spread out on. There was this starry sky above them with pretty lanterns. There was the background with the images of the colorful roller coasters and hot air balloons and stuff. That was really fun. And I loved the little lit-up bridge they walked across while singing. It, that was really, really cute. They really do have such a musical flair to what they're doing. Very musical-esque, their live performances. That's what makes them so cool to watch in action. Lastly, the set list. Although, I would have, of course, added Very Nice as our classic ending and Pretty You, one of their most adorable songs when they perform it live, I digress. The songs they did perform, really exciting. I will make a playlist of these for the show's Spotify account too, by the way, and I'll link to it through my newsletter and website. They had a nice mix of older and newer stuff too, from Ready to Love, to Crazy in Love, to Network Love, to Imperfect Love, to All My Love, and that stuff was in the power version too. I think overall, though, the most special songs to hear them perform live this time were Horny Power, Hoshi-san, and I Can't Run Away. That guitar-driven, but slower, not necessarily a ballad, but yeah, a slower song on the new album. Really an interesting new vibe when performed live. So all in all, stellar show, 10 out of 10, in my pretty subjective opinion. While we're talking about 17, Vernon has released a dope new track, Band Boys, you should check out now. Too bad that didn't make the cut for the set list. It would have been cool to add 17, their song with Pink Sweats. I could go on and on. They're, all their songs are so great. There are always bound to be songs that, in hindsight, I'm like, oh wait, I would have loved to see that live. Oh man, it is what it is. Let's move on. Lots of BTS news. As of recording time, they're gearing up for two big shows at SoFi Stadium, and then two more in December. So they've been in LA all week. They went to the AMAs in person. They got nominated for a Grammy, they did a crosswalk performance for James Corden show, and what I love most is seeing Namjoon go from 
Facebook or LinkedIn personality to Twitter personality. The minute he sets foot in the U.S., he's just this totally, there's just a lack of filter when he comes to the U.S. and does promo, and I love it. He stays very mature and professional, but he has this bite to some of the things he says here. For the right reasons, he's very defensive of the right things, I think. So anyway, in case you missed it. When they were on James Corden's show, if you heard my past episodes, you know he's been in hot water because of his tasteless joke about the ARMY fandom. And RM was actually the one to bring it up. It wasn't even James Corden who initiated an apology, but RM was like, how are you, James? You've been in some hot water lately. And that moment really just, I'm living for it. He made James Corden go through this whole thing, spending quite a long time in terms of taping TV segments, it was a long time, explaining what happened and apologizing. And at some point he was kind of rambling, and so RM jumped in and held out his hand to shake it and was like, it's okay, we accept your apology. But I just love that he made him really talk about it. He wouldn't just let it be a quick aside. Part of me, though, does wonder, because I think a lot of taped TV segments are very more scripted than they let on. I wonder if behind the scenes before the interview, they agreed that RM would initiate the conversation, not James himself, and James would just act surprised. Just a possibility, because I do think they thought the backlash would be non-existent. Fans would be more receptive of an apology if they saw Namjoon initiating that conversation. Just a thought. But anyway, yeah, we'll forgive him. He's back in our good graces. The president of the Army Fan Club. I'm still vying for John Cena's campaign, but whatever. It was very nice to hear them say that. So as much as I loved seeing RM defend the fans, and as much as I liked seeing James Corden finally apologize and acknowledge the backlash, the one thing I would have changed about that whole scene was the lack of really digging into the core of the issue. And yeah, I guess that's what podcasts like mine are for, not super short TV segments. But you know, it just, the best apologies really explain what the issue was. And he said, well, I kind of dismissed all your fans as teenage girls, and I know that's not the case. They come from a wide variety of age ranges. I would have loved for him to say more about how We shouldn't have automatically assumed that a boy band's core fan base was bound to just be teenage girls in the first place. Really unpacking those assumptions behind those kind of jokes. Digging into more of a cultural backstory, a history of belittling fans, etc. But yeah, I know, that's not the conversation for short late night TV segments. That's just what I would have changed about it, is I would have elaborated even more while apologizing about recognizing why it struck such a chord with ARMY to hear that joke. Anyway, moving on to better parts of their week. It was so exciting to see them perform at the AMAs. They performed My Universe with Coldplay. They were going to perform Butter with Megan the Stallion, but at the last minute she just cited a personal reason and dropped out of the live performance. Wouldn't it be cool if whatever she's dealing with was resolved in time for her to join the boys on stage, maybe at the December shows, for a remix at SoFi? That'd be dope. BTS won Favorite Pop Song, Favorite Pop Duo or Group for the third year in a row. And they're the first Asian act to ever win AMA's Artist of the Year. 
a move made all the more historic and special because Suga gave his remarks in Korean, which I love that he didn't feel the need to thank people in English, just embrace the fact that they are a group from Korea. Besides this being super special, because RM once again attributed the win to the fans' army and expressed sincere appreciation, but also because this is the award show where they had their first live TV performance in the USA. First big Western award show performance, DNA 2017 AMAs. Now they're back four years later at the AMAs to win some of the biggest honors of the night. And perform twice. Really, really special. And I especially love the fact that the first time they won, they dressed like they were ready for a big job interview or something like that. Very much like a preparing a good first impression demeanor. Very nervous. But watching them accept awards this year, they seemed right at home. While still nervous, but more goofy, more themselves on stage. And they were dressed like it too. They weren't dressed up like it was a first impression time anymore, but just casual clothes. And seeing that was really fun too, just to watch them feel right at home. Now they really, really do belong at the AMAs. Sure, their casual clothes were super expensive Givenchy looks, but you know what I mean. They still had this boy-next-door humble demeanor, despite being the biggest band in the world. I'm gonna be real honest for a second. USA Today ranked the AMA's performances and gave some brutally honest reviews of them. And they put Butter really high on the list, like three or four. They put Coldplay and BTS's performance of My Universe at the very bottom of the list. That I think was a little harsh, but honestly, their performance of Butter was stellar. But something was different about My Universe. The audio quality was just not there. Something was off about it. So yeah, honestly, a little disappointed. I do think last, last place is a little harsh. Moving on, BTS is nominated for Best Pop Duo or Group Performance at the Grammys this year. Actually in a category against Coldplay for a different song of theirs, Higher Power. The nominees for that category are Kiss Me More by Doja Cat and SZA, Lonely by Justin Bieber and Benny Blanco, I Get a Kick Out of You by Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett, Higher Power by Coldplay, and Butter by BTS. Come on, if Butter doesn't win out of that, okay, maybe I Get a Kick Out of You will win. But other than that, I feel like Butter's a shoe in here. We'll see. Obviously, I want Butter to win, but I think the choice will ultimately be Butter or I Get a Kick Out of You. But man, would it be great if BTS finally won a Grammy. Plus, this nomination allows RM to officially be a writer on a Grammy-nominated song for the first time. Speaking of solo pursuits of band members, Sorn has left both Cube Entertainment and CLC. After being part of the group since 2015 and being part of Cube Entertainment for even longer. CLC, I honestly think, is kind of done. Their status is now in perpetual hiatus. They released Helicopter, talked about going up in a helicopter, and never released anything after that, so they just took off. Weird unintentional symbolism there, but yeah, I think they're really done, and the most popular member of the group, Sorn, just left. It truly sounds like it was on good terms, though, so here's part of her statement. Quote, For the past ten years, I've learned so much from the whole experience. 
I've met six wonderful girls who have become my second family in Korea. Some of them I met when I was 15, on the first day I moved to Seoul. I'm so proud of all we have accomplished together as a team, and I've enjoyed every single moment with them, through our ups and downs. I would also like to thank Cube Entertainment for giving me an opportunity to show my talent to the world. I wish my girls all the best, and I will support them in everything they do. Unquote. Meanwhile, Jay from Day6, aka the solo artist Ej, E-A-J, gave a really interesting, revealing interview to BuzzFeed recently about his solar pursuits now. He does say that technically he wants to still be considered part of Day6, that he still is a member, but he said, quote, I believe that it is in the best interest of everyone that for the moment I do take a leave, not just for my members, but for my fandom and for me as well. He is the self-proclaimed problem child of K-pop, and he has previously called the whole world of the industry, quote, Disney Channel Filter BS. He talked about being on the competition show K-pop Star and then joining JYP Entertainment. Quote, I originally went there thinking, oh, it's going to be a nice two-month vacation. Get to leave school. My mom's going to love me because she knows JYP. Everyone loves JYP. I was like, all right, this is how I'm going to get to go and party and have fun. It ended up being exactly the opposite. I was stuck in a 4 by 4 room, sending to a keyboard for the next four years. He also refuted these claims that K-pop idols are rich, all the luxury clothes they wear in videos, after all, are rented. That's a thing in the Western music scene, too, that I think people forget all too often. All the designer clothes you see your faves wearing are borrowed for photo shoots, etc. He actually said he's working on a new project that financially it's, quote, kind of do or die, but I'd actually go broke if I don't make it. He also says that he wasn't really taught stage presence at JYP. Quote, your stage presence, all of that, isn't as manufactured as people think. I've been put on stage and I've been told that I should have better presence or I need to be better, but never how. You're always scared because they'll just cut random people. It's a lot of fear. He also talks about it being this really cool, eye-opening experience to get to perform as a soloist each at the 88 Rising Festival this past summer. That was his first big public performance in years. There are two longer quotes from this interview that I want to spend more time on. First of all, this is what the interviewer said. So when they say Park, they're referencing Jay Park from Day6, a.k.a. Each. Quote, Park speaks in terms of cancelable and not cancelable, more so than right or wrong, in this conversation, a viewpoint likely shaped by his idol training. Quote, my friend is in another much, much more established group than I am, another American that went over to Korea. He's so concerned with what he says that even when we're talking one-on-one, -on -one, I see him filtering his words mentally. I feel so bad. I know that route because I've been down it, and you lose your mind, unquote. What stuck out to me there is, first of all, that reminder that there is an issue where celebrities feel, especially in the K-pop industry, there's this pressure to stay silent on certain issues. Most of the time, you can't post on social media without your company seeing it first before you post. So you're limited in what you can talk about and post about. Nothing dubbed controversial. And that can be frustrating. Even over kind of little things, you may get punishment or fear of punishment probably even more than other celebrities, if you're from a company who could quickly replace you. 
that sense of being quickly replaceable, bound to take a toll on your mental health. Second thing here, that wording is really interesting to me, that the writer put it as, he spoke in terms of cancelable and not cancelable, not right or wrong. If you've listened to this show and my other show, How to Stand, you know how I feel about the word canceled, that whole culture around it, and how I think it just kills every nuance in the world. It's really annoying putting all sorts of thoughts and comments and behaviors into one category or the polar opposite, etc. Really annoying, weird, kind of manufactured situation. I have a lot of thoughts about this, but that's just a thought worth sitting with, I think. That's really interesting. That some artists like him might be thinking of, is this not right or wrong morally? But is this going to get me cancelled or not? Yeah, I don't like even saying that wording, hypothetically. But that was just an interesting way of putting it. Because I do think this quote-unquote cancel culture conversation has been so misguided and has become about the wrong things. The problem is it's such an umbrella term that sometimes you're talking about the justified backlash or consequences to something. And under the same umbrella you're putting the over-policing of other people. And so it's just a whole annoying mess. So I can imagine that just wrecks havoc on your mental health, worrying about if you'll be canceled or whatever. And at a very smaller level, I kind of feel that too as a writer, you know? I worry about if I'm gonna, you know, be quote-unquote canceled for giving a bad album review to an artist's fave. But I still like to think of things in a way that's right or wrong from an objective music critic perspective when I write those reviews, hey, does it actually make sense to make this number one, regardless of the possible backlash for doing so? So I like to think I haven't reached this level of seeing everything in terms of canceling me or not, but I wonder if that changes depending on your level of fame and the specific industry that brings you that fame. Anyway, I do think It's Grady Speaking is mine now, and I do think his future solo projects are going to be full of rage and pent-up emotion, resentment. He has every right to feel that way. The one comment he made in the interview that I do take issue with is when he was talking about how people are not happy with his continued support of the head of his agency, J.Y. Park, and how he's still supportive of him even if he's kind of not really the head of his agency, because he's part of the subunit Studio J, the subsidiary that is. Anyway, he said, quote, It's a shame that people get mad that I support him. People get really upset, but they're not understanding that things that happen to groups are not on him. I'm sorry to break your dreams, but even he gets his own songs rejected at the company. So you're telling me that your idol didn't get promotions the way they should have? Or they didn't come back the way you wanted? That's probably not on him. I mean, keep them accountable. Do your thing pop off, but it's not the end of the story. You're literally throwing spears and stones at the messenger. At who? The person who's the head of an entity? He doesn't control things. I'm just very confused by that. I'm not criticizing Jay Park, I'm just very confused what he's saying there. That's the full paragraph quote, and I think what he's nodding to is the fan backlash to times they thought GOT7 wasn't promoted as a group enough, that they deserve better marketing help. And he's saying that's not the manager of the company's fault. I just, I mean, partly, I guess, but I don't, I mean, if you're in charge of a company and the artists under your company label are viewed as not getting all of the support and resources they deserve, how is that not at least in part the manager's fault? I just, I don't know if I would absolve him entirely of this. 
the way that this quote seems to. I don't think it's throwing stones at the messenger. I think it's trying to get the messenger to actually send the message. I mean, it makes me think of, that quote made me think of all the Ellen DeGeneres stories that broke in the summer about how her workplace culture, it wasn't like she was overtly cited as being in-your-face bullying to people, but people said she fostered this culture where her staff on the show were not very nice to guests, to put it nicely. Nice to guests, maybe, but the staff just were, they felt belittled and wronged. And so part of the continuing backlash against Ellen specifically, even though she didn't perpetuate the overt bullying of anyone, is that it's her name on the show. When you do that, when you put your name on it, you also put your name to the potential consequences of it. You need ownership over the good and bad of it. And so to some extent, Ellen is responsible for the work culture created, whether she's looking or not. It starts at the top. A culture starts at the top. And so you got to blame a company culture in part on the head of that company. I just think to some extent she's, she ought to be held accountable, you know? And here it's the same thing. The company's literally JYP Entertainment run by JY Park. If people have issues with the company, well, his name's on the company. You got to take responsibility at some point, right? And again, I'm not dissing JY Park or Ej. I'm really just confused by that argument. I disagree. I think... You actually should hold the manager of any company to account if you feel like they're not running things fairly. I think it is partly their fault then. I don't think a manager whose name is on a company should be able to be absolved of any accountability for what happens or doesn't happen technically under their watch. Anyway, that was just my big takeaway that I've been thinking about and puzzling over since I read that interview. Moving on to lighter, quicker news. Lovely's members are starting anew with their solo career pursuits. GA just signed with YJK+, a subsidiary of YG Entertainment focused on modeling and acting. Lee Miju just signed with Antenna. And Baby Soul was the only member who decided to stay at Woolham Entertainment, but she's now not going under Baby Soul anymore. So call her by her real name, Lee Soojun. Big pivot now for our next story. Why did Baekhyun's monthly YouTube uploads stop? His company had prepared, before he went off for his required military enlistment time, a monthly release schedule for YouTube videos to keep fans entertained until he comes back, make it feel like he's not that far away, etc. Really cool concept. Very cute. But they stopped doing that and took down the previously released monthly videos. And why? Apparently, there's a Korean military law that prohibits having another job or doing any profit-gaining activities in a non-military-related capacity while in active duty there. Baekhyun and his team apparently had known about this law, and they truly didn't think they were breaking it because it had all been filmed before he left. It's not like he set up a camera and is vlogging from military bases. This was unrelated to the military stuff. So he's technically not active duty gaining profit from YouTube views, but he kind of is still even though he's not doing the work that could be monetized right now. Anyway, the interesting thing is they were right in their interpretation of the law. He could keep legally posting these videos. They actually could be fine because they don't violate the law. But they still chose to do this, quote, to prevent any misunderstandings. So the law is on their side but they still don't want people to think they could be violating it if they don't know. 
I wonder if what happened was, this is my speculation, but I wonder if Korean netizens mass-reported the videos. Like, they all thought it was a law violation and reported to YouTube about it and led to some behind-the-scenes conversations that led to them taking this down. Some backlash had to be big behind the scenes, I think, for them to just decide to just flat-out stop this series. A real disappointment, frankly, but that's that. Next up, the big reveals from CJ ENM's big Mama Award Show conference. Reminder, the Mama streams December 11th, 6pm Korean Standard Time. They announced at this press conference that the Mamas this year will have an in-person audience, albeit a limited one, and probably that audience aspect is subject to change based on COVID counts. A one-on-one reunion is confirmed to be part of the show, which I am so stoked for. Wish there was an Eyes 112, but whatever, I'm just going to practice gratitude for one-on-one's reunion. They also teased a lot of collaborations among fourth-generation artists and Street Woman Fighter dance crew performances. They said the data this year used to determine winners will now include Apple Music data, and it will be calculated by a third party to ensure neutrality. Lastly, they announced that their Western artist getting a spotlight during the show this year is Ed Sheeran probably performing the Shivers remix with Sunmi and Jesse live, which is going to be so dope. Past examples of Western acts who have been invited there and presented, gave speeches there, Janet Jackson, Dua Lipa, John Legend, lots of big names. Meanwhile, for my fellow economics nerds, real quick, just want to say, there's a lot we could break down about CJ E&M planning to buy a majority stake in Endeavor content, meaning that if that mega deal went through, it could shake up Hollywood, and Endeavor content would only have like 20% stake retained after CJ E&M buys the majority. So, all right, next story. The latest on Samuel and Brave Entertainment's legal battle. As discussed on previous episodes, since 2019, there's been a nasty back and forth in court between Samuel and his company, Brave Entertainment. He announced he would try to promote as an independent artist, claiming Brave Entertainment was not living up to their promises. Brave Entertainment claimed he was actually violating their agreement and what he was doing went against his contract. Samuel's lawyer insists that Brave Entertainment wronged him not just in a lack of moral support way, but a material support way showing deceptive pay statements to him, forcing him to release singles, promoting causes he wasn't assigned to promote. Brave Entertainment argued very oddly that, yes, we did show him the Ron pay statement, but the number difference in reality was pretty small. That was kind of the what they said if you read between the lines. It was a very weird defense, so anyway, the judge didn't buy it. And November 17th ruled in Samuel's favor. So Samuel's contract with Brave Entertainment that he's been attached to since June 2014 is invalid. Samuel posted about the verdict, saying, quote, I couldn't do anything during the three long years due to the legal conflict, and I'm very happy to have won the lawsuit. He went on and on to thank his fans for the support, but... Don't get too excited yet, because Brave Entertainment still won't just let him go. They're still determined to appeal this verdict and, quote, clear their names. 
And they argue that the court didn't side with Samuel because the facts are on his side, but because of a technicality, quote, based on the circumstance that a portion of the billing information was provided slightly late. So they're basically saying the only way we actually may have broken a law is because of a delayed paycheck. We'll see if that appeal works. I'm skeptical. I'm happy for Samuel, but I do think it'll be a while before any big release comes out from him, because now that he's kind of independent, I don't think the funding is there for a big new album coming out ASAP, so just hang tight. Meanwhile in reality show news, there's a new Korean star-studded show coming out in December called Double Trouble, where 10 different idols are going to compete for best duet, which sounds like a cool concept if you ask me. The hosts include Jane Doyeon and Kim Jisook, and some of the idols participating include Minzy, Hyolin, Insun from SF9, Monday from Weekly, Tail from Block B. It's a stacked list. Meanwhile, producer Wanwoo Park, the creator of The Masked Singer, is finally getting his rewards. He signed a first look deal with Fox Alternative Entertainment in partnership with his own company, DL Turn. So they're going to work on a bunch of unscripted projects, the first being a USA remake of Lotto Singer. Fox as an entertainment channel has really been investing heavily in unscripted stuff lately. And they also set up this new, surprising for some reason to me, production sector for Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, it's called Studio Ramsay Global. Alright, that was a lot of big news. Let's get to some rapid-fire headlines. So brace yourselves, because there's a lot today. CL was added to the Jingle Ball lineup in LA. She'll perform at the Jingle Ball Village at the Forum, December 3rd, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You can also see acts like Anita and Trevor Daniel there. Seventeen is set to cover the Japanese magazine More for their January 2022 issue. And Seventeen Seasons Greetings merch package pre-orders have begun and officially come out December 14th. Twice's concert in Seoul, set for December 26th, you can stream online via Beyond Live. And Kai's first solo online concert is set to be held via Beyond Live, December 12th, 3 p.m. Korean time, 1 a.m. Chicago time, Central time, etc. Ticket sales start December 1st at 3 p.m. The first in-person KCON event since the pandemic started will be an in-person MAMA viewing party, December 11th. More details TBA about that, but keep your eyes out on Mnet socials and KCON socials, of course. There's an in-person event sponsored by Sub-K Entertainment happening at Pomona Fairfax, this K-Play fan event. This fan gathering will be January 15th and 16th of 2022. Mamamoo have a concert movie coming out. It sounds like it's just going to be in Seoul and just across South Korea, but starting in Seoul. But boy, it would be great if it was international. I think it could be a hit, but I digress. It's 102 minutes long, and it will have live performances of 25 of their songs, plus behind-the-scenes rehearsal footage. Shori from Mighty Mouth is now a dad, and congrats to Chen from XO, who is expecting his second child now. Trudy announced she's getting married to the baseball player Ri Dae-un. Kim Soo-yun from Girls Planet 999 is set to join the new girl group Billy. N-Hyphen made their US TV debut last week on The Kelly Clarkson Show. BT21 merch has come to Among Us, although not playable characters or anything like that, just merch. 
Meanwhile, Hybe is partnering with this new AR tech company, G-Instep, I believe it's pronounced, a visual effects and AR tech company, to create a lifestyle platform, as if Hybe's list of upcoming projects wasn't expansive enough. Yu Quan from Block B has been discharged from the military. Che Shi Wan is officially a member of the UNICEF Honors Club. TXT are the only foreign act this year to make GQ Japan's Men of the Year list. Some MC news, the MCs this year for the NBC Entertainment Awards, Kim Sejun, Jun Hyunmu, and Lee Sang E. Some sad COVID updates, and there are too many. Victims Ho Chan has COVID, all his bandmates tested negative. Kino from Pentagon has COVID, but all the other members tested negative. And Lisa from Blackpink has COVID, all the other members tested negative. Congrats to Taeyeon, who just surpassed 400,000 SoundCloud followers. And his song Long Flight just surpassed 21 million streams. Reaching 30 million views, Jesse's video for Cold Blooded. 40 million views on two videos of Hyuna's I'm Not Cool and Ping Pong with Dawn. 100 million views reached on Itzy's Loco. 1.1 billion views, Blackpink's As If It's Your Last. 1.3 billion views, BTS Dynamite. And 1.4 billion views, BTS and Halsey, Boy With Love. My Universe by BTS and Coldplay was just certified silver in the UK. It also just won Best International Collaboration at the NRJ Music Awards in France. Variety named BTS's Butter the record of the year at their fifth annual Hitmakers event. August D's D2 mixtape has surpassed 440 million Spotify streams. Twice's Formula of Love album surpassed 630,000 album copies sold as of recording time, which is over 100,000 more than Taste of Love did in the same amount of time. It also reached number three. Three! On the Billboard 200 albums chart, their highest ranking yet. That is all the news we're going to cover today. Stay tuned later this week for the Best of November releases roundup and more. While I have your attention real quick, this Giving Tuesday, I would like to direct your attention to this really cool company I just found out about. It's called Therapy, but it's spelled like the therapy, A-I-R. It's a mental health organization to help flight attendants. The past two years have been just unprecedented in terms of the quantity and intensity of the unruly passengers they've had to deal with some even getting physically injured in fights with passengers. Their jobs are just harder than ever, I can't even imagine, and they take a toll on your mental health. To be there and try to make a flight pleasant for people and follow orders from your bosses to tell them to put on a mask or whatever, and they lash out at you and physically attack you, it's just horrible. So if you want to support this cool organization, their goal is to raise $50,000 to fund this 24-7 helpline that would be available to call or text internationally as a flight attendant to just get some mental health support and discover the community of other flight attendants who have a new openness about the need to address mental health issues. 
You can find out more about this cause at https colon backslash backslash gettheirapy.org. Or you could go right to gettherapy.org backslash donate. Again, spell therapy as in T-H-A-I-R-A-P-Y. Thank you for listening to today's show. Talk to you all very soon. Bye, everyone.